Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Amen. Hey, so church, we've been in a series that uh, we've been talking about this idea of what keeps you up at night. Talked a lot about a lot of personal things, fear. We've talked about that worry, anxiety. We've talked about other issues. And, and today what I want to do is I want to talk about an issue that is personal, but I also want to talk about an issue that I feel like goes beyond personal and really goes to our culture and to our world today. First of all, let me just ask you, um, how many, both campuses right now, how many of you are baseball fans? Got any baseball fans in the room? Great, we've got like 12 at Niwad. I know Fred, you've, you've got a bunch of baseball fans. Your campus pastor, Matt, is a huge baseball fan. But it is, it's October, man. We're talking World Series started Friday night. If you watched the World Series Friday night, Arizona Diamondbacks against the Texas Rangers, um, you saw an epic game. Like bottom of the 11th, they came down to the 11th inning and Adolis Garcia steps up, which the guy has been a monster in the postseason. If you've been watching, he's hit more RBIs, runs batted in than any player in Major League Baseball history in the playoffs. So he steps up the bottom of the 11th, pitcher chucks one in there, and he hits a bomb over the right field wall and trots around the bases and uh, ends the game. Now, last night wasn't so much of a, a great game. Last night was a blowout if you watched. But Adolis Garcia, I was just watching, and something happened with him, not in the World Series, but in the ALCS, the American League Championship Series, Texas Rangers against the Houston Astros, about a week ago. And, and you may have picked up on this. It was a little bit of a kind of um, thing that happened uh, with Adolis, but it went to understand what happened in game five of the ALCS, you have to go back to June of this year. So in June of this year, Garcia comes up to bat. It's against the Houston Astros. Like I said, they have some history. And so he, he steps up to bat and uh, he hits another bomb. I mean, he just hits one over the center field wall. And then what he does is he shows up the pitcher. So he hits this bomb over the, over the center field wall and he doesn't trot down to first base. What he does is he walks. He walks down to first base he flexes, then he throws down his bat, stares down the pitcher, and then finally starts jogging around the bases. And Martin Maldonado is Houston Astros catcher, and he stands up, and all of the uh, Texas Rangers come out to, to like congratulate Garcia at the plate, and Maldonado just turns around, and he took exception to the disrespect of his pitcher, so he starts jawing with the guys at the plate. And if you know baseball, you know what happens. Like as soon as somebody gets a little sideways and lines are drawn and somebody steps over that line, bench is clear, everybody comes to home plate. Didn't end up being a bench clearing brawl, but definitely lines were drawn. So fast forward, game five. Game five, Garcia's up to bat, it's early in the game. He hits another bomb and does the, it's like deja vu, exactly the same thing. He walks down the line, he flexes, doesn't look at the pitcher this time, but he turns and he flexes at the crowd, throws down his bat, and then finally starts jogging around the bases. So he comes to the plate, nothing happens. But if you know baseball, you know what happens the next time he gets up to bat. Check it out. Season combined. Are clearing in the American League Championship Series. 
Everybody doing their very best to keep their cool, but Garcia's losing his. Now, more important than ever right now that everybody keeps their cool, understanding the bigger picture of this series and this season. Well, you can understand why he's so hot. That's a 97 mile an hour fastball up near the shoulder. And a lot of it might have to do with how long he walked after he hit that home run. That's baseball, right? Now, usually what happens is, is Garcia gets cranked, and what does he do? He goes after the pitcher. Well, he knew it wasn't the pitcher this time. He knew it was Maldonado, the catcher. And so he gets up in his face, and what happens? Man, the lines are drawn. Like, bench is clear, and that's what you've got. I mean, in baseball, what happens is it's a retaliation culture. It's like, you hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy. And I would just step back and say that that is a picture, not just of baseball. Would you not agree that that's a picture of our world today? Lines are drawn, sides are taken. I'm right, they're wrong. And when it gets to extreme situations, what happens is, is it becomes that we demonize the person who's on the other side that's different than us, that we don't like, or that's done something that has hurt us. What we, we demonize that person, but then it goes even to the point of not only do we dehumanize, or de demonize that person, we dehumanize them. And when you're willing to see a person as less than human, you're willing to do things and act accordingly. Now, if we just give examples going around our world, everybody, I mean, you have to live in a hole to not see on the news what's been happening in Israel. Like you just step back in that situation, that is the lines have been drawn for years and years and years. And there's a whole lot of I'm right and you're wrong and this is mine and that's not yours, and just this whole thing that has escalated over the years, and then we see a war that started about a month ago, and all the lives that have been lost, and all the different things, and we have to just say, you have to say that when you look at that situation, what Hamas did was absolutely evil. It should be dealt with, it should be taken care of, so there's not more loss of life, but when you step back in, and we should be praying for that situation, but when you step back in and you say, what is the, if you drive down to the depth of what causes this, it's this retaliation division culture that's always saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And when you look at that situation, when you see someone, when it just escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates to where you say that person's not even human, you'd be willing to do things that are absolutely evil and horrible. Now you can just step back into that situation. You look at Israel versus Hamas, Israel versus Palestine, but then you step out of that one and you go Republican versus Democrat. You go pro-life versus pro-choice. You go white versus black. You just keep going down the cultural line of all the different places that we divide and draw lines and point fingers and say, I'm right, you're wrong, and because we're different, you're evil. Now we can just point fingers and we can look at it and say, well, that's kind of in the world, but Sean, that doesn't invade my world. It does because it invades my world. If I look at family, if I look at work, I can give you four different instances, four different instances that I won't go into, but I could give you four different instances, two at work, one in my neighborhood, and one in my extended family that lines have been drawn 
And I'm telling you, it's been hurtful in its personal relationships that I've had. One was a, a neighbor with, over a stupid dog, right? And all of a sudden, lines are drawn, police were called. I mean, all kinds of different things. One with a family that I haven't actually talked to a family member in 23 years. Lines are drawn, and I'll be honest. If you just asked me what I felt about that person, I, I would have a hard time communicating a whole lot of love and care. And so if it invades my life, it invades our world, I guarantee you that you can sit there right now and say, oh yeah, I've got a line drawn. I've got a line drawn on a personal relationship or I've got a line drawn with a belief that I have. And on the other side of that belief, I see that person is wrong and I will not associate, will not connect with, I'm right, they're wrong and we don't connect. Man, if you look around our world today, it's everywhere. And we can talk about what keeps us up in at night in our own life, the fears and anxieties, but I'm telling you right now, one thing that keeps me up at night or just keeps me concerned, keeps me frustrated, keeps me looking at it, I say, when is this gonna change that I think needs to be addressed by the church because I believe the church is actually the only answer for it, is this division retaliation culture that's bringing out so much evil in our world today. Matthew chapter five, I want you to turn there. It's a Sermon on the Mount. And as I said, I think Jesus is the only answer to this that we can bring as Christians to the world. And so I want us to look at it, starting at verse 38, see what he says, and understand the context. He's, it's a Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching on the side of a mountain to thousands of people. And as he's teaching, you have to understand the audience, they're Jewish. They rely heavily on the Old Testament. Understand, the Old Testament does. The Old Testament is a separatist culture it is also has a bit of a retaliation culture to it. You'll see what I mean. Matthew chapter five, verse 38. It says, you have heard it said, this is Jesus speaking to the crowd. He's in the middle of a sermon and he just says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's Leviticus 24. Like that is straight out of the Old Testament scriptures. It's this do unto others as they've done unto you mentality. Now God wasn't taking that to an extreme. He wasn't, he, his, the separation wasn't that that was God's heart to be separate from the, but God was creating a people that were gonna bring the gospel to the world. And he was saying to them separatist wise, don't intermarry with people who, who worship and value other gods because what it'll do, it'll pull you away from me and the gospel will not be able to come to the world. So that's where that came from. But there were also some laws with justice that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it became this idea, someone offends you, you retaliate, it's, it escalates, they want revenge, and the results far exceeded the offense. That's the culture that Jesus is speaking to. Jesus always flips things, so he says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow for, from you. Man, as usual, Jesus challenges the norm. And what he does is he gives some examples. And so he's giving examples right out of culture. So he looks at these people on this mountainside. He says, just an example. Someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Common insult in that day. Two Pharisees or two leaders or two people in the community would be fighting and angry and one would slap the other one. And then guess what would happen? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. 
The other one slapped that guy back. And then what would happen? It'd be a bench clearing brawl, right? It would retaliate and it would just escalate. And Jesus was saying, don't escalate it. I'll give you a new way. Turn the other cheek. And they're like, what? Then he goes on. He talks about a legal case. If someone sues you for your shirt, give him your coat also. Then he goes on and he, he uses another issue and, and he talks about simply this idea of going the extra mile. That's a proverb that we talk about today. We say, go the extra mile. Where's it come from? Roman soldiers were allowed to ask Jewish people to carry their military equipment and supplies for one mile, no more. There's a lot of resentment in that, you can imagine. The Jews were slave to, slaves to Rome. They were subject to Rome. And so a young man who's asked, who somebody points at them and says, hey, carry my stuff. You can imagine the resentment, the anger, and Jesus is saying, all that's going to get you if you say no or you retaliate is a couple nights in jail, maybe more. So how about you carry it two miles? Hence the proverb, go the extra mile. You see, Jesus uses these ideas and he's trying to teach something different. What he's asking is he's saying, hey, how's the current culture working for you? How's this current culture retaliation and pointing fingers and drawing lines and how's that actually working for you? You hit me, I'll hit you. And let me ask you this, how's it working for you? Because in those situations, I can say this, that I don't think I have been guilty in each of those situations, but I haven't been perfect. But I can tell you there's not relationships in those situations. It hasn't worked. And Jesus begins to suggest another way. He says, how about this way? Don't hit back at all. Someone hits you, just take it. Someone sues you for the shirt on your back, gift wrap it and send it to them as a gift. Like better yet, send them your more expensive coat too, right? If someone asks you to go one mile or if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to actually serve and love that person. And what's amazing is when you do those things, I mean, Jesus is so wise, when you do those things, it de-escalates instead of escalating problems. And it usually allows you to see someone else or be seen by someone else. It usually causes that person to question and say, what, what's so different about this person? But when you escalate and when you retaliate, especially as a Christian, you get people looking and saying, well, that's why I don't like Jesus. Because if Jesus is like those people, they're not different than anyone else. Now, I think we do need to understand looking at the current culture and all the things going on in our world, Jesus is using these as examples. He's not using them as hard and fast rules. Right, these, these are examples, and if we, if we kind of jump in and we just apply these principles to every single situation, I don't think we represent the gospel writers well, and I don't think we actually represent Jesus well. Mark Moore, in his commentary on the gospels, he says Jesus is not advocating. He is talking about not retaliating, but he's saying he's not advocating for the following. He's not advocating for Christian submission to torture. He's not even talking about or addressing Christian pacifism or, or, or even just war. He's not restricting intervention on the behalf of someone who's being abused. Guys, you see a husband abusing his wife in a parking lot, you better jump in. Like Jesus flipped tables, right? He flipped tables. I mean, Jesus was a guy that was strong and, and saw something that was wrong and he stepped in. 
He's not even talking about those kind of situations. He's talking about our own desire to get even. He's not talking about, Mark Moore says, forbidding self-defense. And he's not talking about prohibiting retaliation by the state. Hence, against terrorism, those kind of things. Romans chapter 13, verse 4 actually deals with that. It says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. See, what Jesus is just simply saying is he's, he's saying, don't be like the world. I'm not talking about some of these other issues. I'm just talking about when the world draws lines and says, I'm right, you're wrong. And because I'm right, I'm good. And because you're wrong, you're evil. And then the division that begins to happen around that, because you, you see this, we see this, we even do this sometimes. When we say, I'm right, then we start looking for other people that are just like us. And we'll associate with those people, but we will not cross that line and actually ever hear the story, ever talk to, ever connect with someone who's on the other side of that line. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, you demonize other people, you dehumanize people I created, and you don't act like me. Jesus goes on, or actually, excuse me, before we get there, Rick Warren, former pastor of Saddleback Community Church in Southern California, has a great quote on this. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. Think about the different disagreements you might have about someone else's lifestyle, the way they live, the way, what they believe about certain things. He says, you must fear or hate them as the belief. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You see, what Jesus is saying is don't be like the world because what the world does is the world draws lines. The world draws lines and they divide over right, what they believe is right and wrong. And what's right is wrong is subjective to them. And they say, no, I'm right and you're wrong. And so we put that other person on the other side of the line and we're not even kind. What Jesus is saying is don't draw lines and just don't be mean. I mean, that's a novel idea, right? Don't be mean. He's saying, be like me. And if you watch what Jesus did, Jesus didn't draw lines. He began to just love people. Jesus actually accepted people he did not agree with and never affirmed with their belief and never affirmed their beliefs, but he actually accepted and loved them. Jesus actually sat down with people and he would begin to just ask them their story. When's the last time you sat down with someone you totally disagreed with, fundamentally disagreed with and asked them their story and asked them why they believe what they believe? See, we divide so much that we create so much division. There's a chasm in between that that we can't even sit down over coffee and just say, hey, help me understand, man. I'd love to hear your story. Jesus asked people's story. He was slow to anger. He was quick to love. He shared truth without trying to arguing, argue people to his point of view. Jesus didn't try to be right. He tried to be helpful. He allowed people to belong before they believed you see, Jesus didn't even see lines. Like when it comes down to it, the, the world draws lines. What, what Jesus did is Jesus actually 
crosses lines. Jesus crossed lines, met people where they were, and began to get to know their story. But in reality, what actually happened is, is Jesus didn't even actually see lines. And when you don't see lines, what you begin to do is you begin to see people. In 2019, I took 19 people from here, from Rocky, and we went to um, Israel. It was the first time I had been to Israel. We went with a group that their focus was, was about 50-50. It was about 50% seeing the sights of the Holy Land, and it was 50% meeting the people. Guys, I'm telling you this, man, I loved seeing the sights of the Holy Land. It was wonderful. But you take that times 10, and I loved even more meeting with the people. I remember sitting down with a Muslim imam and he shared some things that he believed from his book and began to teach us. And we just listened to try to get a picture of what the tenets of Islam were and, and just began to listen. I remember meeting with a Palestinian Christian Bible college professor and listening to him who lived behind the walls, lived in Palestine and began to hear him talk about his perspective. We met with many different people from Israel, many different Jewish people. We met with all kinds of groups. But my favorite meeting, my favorite connection was with a guy named Zaki. Uh, Zaki was our bus driver. And uh, we would take the buses through and we'd go see all the different places. Zaki was a Palestinian Muslim who had his papers and was actually had his, his Israeli citizenship. So he lived in Palestine, but he would cross through the wall each day and he would come get in the bus and drive us around. And we went to one particular restaurant one night and I remember just laughing and joking around with Zachy and we talked to him, but I remember feeling a distance because there was a bit of a language barrier. I mean, he could, he could speak some English, it was, it was, but it was broken and it was a little difficult to... And I remember also just not knowing much about this guy. Seen a lot of things on the news. Wondering, like, where does this guy come from? What does he think about all the different issues? Where does he stand on different things religiously and politically? One particular night, we went to a, a restaurant, and my wife and I had an opportunity. Leader of the trip came up, and he said, hey, I want you to sit at dinner with Zaki and his wife. She's coming tonight. She had not met the group yet. She did not speak English at all. And so we didn't know exactly how that was going to go. We sat down, and immediately we just began to talk. And Zachy would try to interpret for, for his wife and we would talk through. And finally, I'm just trying to think of how can we just make some connections on? I said, Zachy, why don't you and your wife tell us about your family? Zachy pulls out his phone and he goes to his pictures and he pulls up and he says, here's my family. And guess what? Zachy had four kids just like me. And he begins to show the pictures of these kids that are similar ages because we were the same age similar ages to us, a few that were just a little bit younger. And he began to just describe and tell us their names and tell us about each kid and tell us what they were good at and what they did. And I'm just sitting there. And then he says to me, hey, Sean, could you show me your children? How many kids do you have? And so I don't have a whole lot of pictures, but my wife pulled up Facebook and she showed the pictures of our kids. And she began to explain and we began to talk about our four kids who are about the same age. And we begin to have this discussion and all of a sudden, any lines that I may not understand and may not have seen or wondered if we're actually there went out of the way because all I began to see in this moment was Zaki, a guy much like me that happened to be born into a different part of the world, into a different family that believes something different. But I had four kids just like me, a wife just like me, 
parents lived just right around them, just like ours do. It was so eerie and interesting of how we just began to laugh. The other groups got done at their table Two, and they're sitting there just keep staring at us and it's two and a half hours later and we're like, guys, hold on, hold on. We're just having too much fun. At the end of the conversation, Zachy's wife looks at her husband. She's not looking at us. She looks at her husband and she's saying something very intense. And Zachy looks at me and I said, what's she saying? And he said, she wants you to go home and to tell the people there that we're not bad people. And I said, hey, explain a little more. And I'm looking at Zachy and I'm listening. And she said, tell them we're not bad people because not every person from here believes what some of the things that you see, other people on the news that you see, we're not all like that. She said, we have families just like you do. We love our spouses just like you do. And we're good people. Could you go home and could you tell people that? And guys, there are people that sit here There are people that sit in our world today that would just see a different color of skin, a different religion, a different part of the world, different things in our news, and immediately draw a line and eliminate Zaki and say, I am right, they are wrong, I am good, they are evil. In reality, what God says is you are a creation of God, Sean, and so is Zaki. And if you draw a line, If you draw a line and you treat people and you dehumanize and you demonize people on the other side of the line, whoever that person is, they may never have a chance to actually understand the one who created them, the one who loves them, the one who wants to forgive them and the one who wants to spend eternity in heaven with them. And my question to you is, who have you drawn a line with? Now, when I just look at what keeps me up at night about this issue, I just see it everywhere. I see it in high schools and middle schools where people look at other kids, look at other kids and they just draw lines. I see it in adults. I see it in families, even where husbands and wives draw lines or family groups and family groups draw lines or churches and churches draw lines. Jesus goes on and he says, here's what it means to cross lines. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There it is again. Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus just flips it on his head. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Now, I said Leviticus 19, 18. Leviticus 19, 18 does say, love your neighbor. The Old Testament never says anywhere, hate your enemy. It never insinuates anywhere in the Old Testament to hate someone. And then Jesus takes this, raises the bar and says, no, pray for them. Cross that line. Pray for them, encourage them. And then the New Testament speaks of God's love for all people. John three sixteen, most famous verse in the Bible. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, Sean, Zachy, whoever, good, evil, bad, enemies, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, Jesus' love is radical and he calls our love to be the same, just as radical. What Jesus is saying through this passage is he's saying, I want you to be passive in your retaliation. We hate the word passive. Like guys, as as men, when somebody says you're too passive, man, it just gets something inside of us because we're like, nuh-uh. 
because it feels weak. Jesus is saying, I want you to be passive in your retaliation, but I want you to be active in something much harder that takes much more strength. I want you to be active in your love. You see, the best retaliation is no longer revenge, it's love. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. Paul writes, he says, don't hit back in the message version. He says, don't hit back. Discover the beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. How you respond as a Christian to people who hurt you, to people who say wrong things about you, even untrue things about you, people who stand on the other side of what could be a line, how you respond to those people, how you respond to people who believe something very different than you that are aggressive about that belief. How you respond matters to God. How I respond matters to God. And here's what Jesus ends with. He ends with in verse 46 through 48, is if you love someone who loves you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? I mean, you can see the people going, Jesus, how far does this go? And he's like, tax, collect, tax collectors deep. That's how far it goes. Like this is the bottom of the barrel, tax collectors, sold out on the Jewish people working for Rome. He says, and if you greet only your own people, which we have a tendency to do, align with people just like us, if you greet only your own people, then what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Another bottom of the barrel, people who have disregarded God to the Jewish people is like, ooh, separatists, they're different. But then Jesus lands the plane and he says, be perfect, therefore, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. I go back to those four relationships that I mentioned and I'm like, Jesus, perfect? Like, why don't we just hang this one up right now? Because I, I definitely have not been perfect. In the, Greek, in the Greek translation of that word in Matthew chapter five, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, does not mean without flaw. It's not the translation of the word. The translation of the word is mature. It's used only one other time in the New Testament when, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? He says, if you wanna be perfect, Jesus said, if you wanna be perfect, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. If you want to be mature, Jesus was saying, sell what you have as a rich person and cross a line that you never cross and go help a poor person. See, Jesus is not calling us to be perfect. What he's calling us to be is loving. He's calling us to be radical with our love to the point where we love enemies, we love people that we disagree with, we love people that look different than us, that believe different than us, even that treat us poorly. Because Jesus is saying, when you, when you draw lines and you retaliate and it escalates, it's always worse than the original offense. And then people look back at you as a Christian and say, I don't even want your Jesus because if, you're like, if he's like that, I don't want him either. Book Irresistible is, is, uh, is step number three in our pathway. And in our pathway, I love that book. It's a great book. It's written by Andy Stanley. And he asks a question. If you're like, how does this actually work out, Sean? When Jesus says, be mature, how does it actually work out? And Andy Stanley gives 
he gives a, a question in this book that we just rely on so much here. We talk about the question and it just kind of pervades what we talk about and, and how we react to people and how we react in situations. Like even in, in COVID, you just step back in COVID and all the mandates and all the things that were going on, people have just, you know, sides and lines drawn. In the book, he says, when it comes to love, the question Jesus wants you to ask is what does love require of me? Guys, that's so good. In the constant division and problem, the constant fight that you've been having with your spouse forever, that you don't know if it's ever gonna end, Jesus says you should ask the question, what does love require of me? With a family member that you haven't talked to for years and years and years, in that situation you're saying, I'm not wrong. Jesus says you should ask the question, what does love require of me? When you run into a person that's on the other end of that political spectrum and maybe believe some things that, that you could never accept, Jesus says, hey, you should ask the question, what does love require of you? Because you don't have to affirm, but you do have to accept and love them. What does love require of me? We started with a video of something that happened on a baseball diamond last year in August. There were two teams playing in the Little League, not World Series, but they were playing to get to the Little League World Series. It was a game that happened in Texas. It was a regional uh, championship game. There was, a team from, um, there was a team from Texas and there was a team from Oklahoma that had traveled down there. And you may have seen this video, but there's a picture. It's very, very similar, very similar to what happened in the first video. There's a picture that rares back and you're gonna see it. It's a little shocking when you see it. He rares back, fires a fastball, and hits a kid. And I want you to see the reaction to what happens. Check it out. Oh, look out. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Tough kid right there. So this is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, bro. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look. You can do it. What a stud right there. Zay Jarvis. I don't know about you, but I, when I first watched that game five, and I saw that hit, I saw Garcia get hit, and I saw him turn around, and I saw the benches. I have to admit that my first reaction was fight, fight. I mean, that's, that's what you when we watch baseball. It's like, oh, what's gonna happen? It's, I feel like that's what happens in our world today. You hit me, I'm gonna hit you, and then everybody else is around, fight, fight. 
And the reaction is just that it just boils and builds. And I watched that of Isaiah Jarvis. The first time I saw that video and that kid, I look, I didn't even know what was happening. And I see this kid on the mound, big old, looks more like a football player than he does a baseball player, big old pitcher. And he's got his hand over his eyes and he's trying to cover his tears because he's embarrassed, but he's also hurt and afraid he hurt this kid. And Isaiah Jarvis sees it and he's got a heart for that guy. That guy just cranked me with a fastball and he walks across and wraps him up in a big old hug. Guys, that is the gospel. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. We don't draw lines, we cross lines. Guys, we as the, as the church, we wanna be a church. You should wanna be as a, a Christian that doesn't even see lines. Sure, we hold fast to truth, but the book of John says Jesus came full of what? He came full of grace and truth. Like he stood on truth, but he always brought grace to the party. I mean, our mission around this place is just simply to know Jesus and then to love like him. That's what it looks like right there. And my big question to you is just how many lines are we drawing right now that we need to step across and we need to just love a person on the other side, no matter what it costs us. That is the kind of church that we will be. And I think you saw the result in that video of the tears in the one lady's face when she's watching, the people standing up and cheering because what you see there is so much different and what Jesus is calling for is so much different than what is in our world today. Where do you need to cross some lines? Jesus made the statement. He said, how will they know that you're my disciples? They will know by your love. Let's pray. Father, I, I am so grateful for every person in this room at Niwad. I'm so grateful for every person sitting there in the room at Fred watching live right now. Every person, wherever they are watching whether it's right here locally or out of state, wherever it is. And God, I pray that we would just take this on. And I believe the church could be seen, that Jesus could be seen if we would become a church that quits drawing political lines, quits drawing lines on beliefs. Yes, we have beliefs we hold strong to, Lord, but help us to be accepting of people. Father, I pray, pray this will be a place where anyone can walk in, no matter what they've done, what they believe, how different they might be from someone else, and they can be wrapped up in a hug of your love. And so God, I pray for us in our relationships personally, in our relationships in our community, in the culture around us. Help us take this with us, begin to ask the question, what does love require of me? God, I pray you'll fill up this place. You'll fill up that Frederick campus. You'll fill up that online audience with people that are just saying, I gotta, I gotta know what's going on because I need something different than the world has to offer. Help us to cross lines this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.